Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, and to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The word of the Lord. Please be seated and please join with me in prayer. Father, we once again pause in your presence um, because we want to be attentive to you. You are a God who speaks and we need your help to be a people who listen. And so we ask that your spirit who is present among us would open our eyes and open our hearts, that you would shape us together as we hear your word so that more and more we could be the body of Christ that we are called to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this Sunday marks the conclusion to the series that we began in January, a series that has focused us on the question, what is our mission, the mission of the church? And if you were with me there that second Sunday of January, you might remember that we began with a fairly simple pre uh, premise, and that is 
that our calling more than anything else is a calling rather than being fearful and kind of self-absorbed to be people who have our arms open wide in love towards the world around us. The reason for that is because that is how God has been towards us. We have a God who has opened his arms wide. Christ has opened his arms wide, even unto death, loving us. And so we have the mission, the calling, as Christ's people likewise to, without fear, love. And over the last few weeks, we've kind of explored some of what that means. We've talked about how that, that has ramifications for how we see our work, for how we see the way that we learn, for how we, we consider beauty and wonder. And this morning, as we draw to a conclusion, I'd like to consider one more theme, one theme that I think is especially appropriate given we've just commissioned this women's shepherding team, and that is that this mission that we are called to do we are called to do together. And to focus our attention on that, I want to spend some time talking about the body. Hopefully you notice as we are looking at this passage that this passage again and again talks about the body. And its culmination, that final verse that really summarizes all that he is getting at until that point, says this, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the body of Christ. Paul's speaking, of course, to the Corinthian church. This is a letter written to the Corinthians, but what he is saying to them is true of of every local church. We see that because when he's writing to the Ephesians, he uses the same language, and Colossians, he uses the same language. Each local congregation, wherever that congregation is, is in that place, the body of Christ. You, this group here, you might want to look around and see, you are the body of Christ Jesus. Now here, Paul just states it. He doesn't really even explain exactly what it means to be the body. He's wanting to go into what it means that we're members, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But elsewhere, Ephesians speaks about how the body of Christ is to be the fullness of Christ in the world. In other words, we make Jesus more present in this world, almost physically present through us. When I, uh, last summer, our, our oldest son Timothy was on a camp in Florida. You might remember this RUM camp. And he was in some ways present in our thoughts. You know, we were praying and thinking for him. Sometimes we were texting, so he was present there. But of course, it was entirely different when he came home and he was physically present, where we could see him and engage with him in a different way. And scripture says that, that while Christ is seated in heaven and he is present spiritually, in a real sense, the way that he is present physically in this world is through his body, through his local church. We are, in a real sense, when we're being faithful, the hands and feet of Jesus. This is why we speak so often about how our calling is to extend the life-changing love of Christ, because we are his body, meant to extend what he is doing into the world around us. And if you just think about what that means for a moment, it's a tremendous privilege. We get, in a real way, as a congregation, to be Jesus's hands and feet, to show Jesus to a world that so deeply needs him. That's a beautiful thing. It also, we should recognize, is a sobering thing. 
Because we need to remember how Jesus loves. How did he love us? He loved us, we will say this in just a little while, by giving his body for us. As the body of Christ, we are people who will be entering into that, who are entering in, who lay down our lives, who even suffer as we seek to show the love of Jesus to the world around us. Paul understood this when he was saying this. You know, in another place in Galatians, Paul says, look, I bear the marks of Christ upon me. And by that, he was speaking about how he was beaten repeatedly and whipped, how he was shipwrecked. He had scars all over him. And these scars he saw as part of what it meant to be part of the body of Christ. Because in the gospel, we see that a life-changing love is a love where one has given their life. And so as we seek to extend the life-changing love of Jesus, we should recognize that part of that calling is that we are people who are to give our lives even involving suffering because we are the body of Christ following the one who went to the cross for us. So this is the truth that underpins everything that Paul is saying in this passage, that you and I, we together, this church, every church that is faithful is the body of Christ, which is a tremendous calling. But he doesn't just stop there. You are the body of Christ, each of you members of it. You know, another way you could say is each of us in some ways are, are an organ in the body. You know, some of you might be thumbs and others are maybe the liver and some of you might be, I don't know, the femur or the, you know, just whatever. Like he's saying that each of you are a member, a part of this body. Now, why would he say this? Well, if we move backwards, one of the key verses for understanding why he would say that each of us has a significant role in the body is found in verse 7. Verse 7, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This verse is so important, I want to just kind of spend some time in it because it explains why it is that each of us should consider ourselves to be part of this body in a significant way. To each. That's a really important inclusive statement. If you are part of this church, if you are a Christian who has placed your faith in Christ, this is talking about you. It doesn't matter if you're eight years old or 68 years old, it doesn't matter if you know the Bible cover to cover, or if you're just beginning to understand scripture, it doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert. You, it says to each, that means you, is given the manifestation of the Spirit. So, so what is he talking about here when he says you, you have received a manifestation of the Spirit? Well, scripture says that when we have placed our faith in Christ, we are given God's personal, powerful presence in the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit in some tangible way is connected to us in a new form. And, and as that happens, the Spirit gives us power. He gives us power to see the reality of the gospel, to make Jesus real in our hearts. He gives us power to become more like Christ in our lives. And he also gives us power to contribute to the work of the kingdom. Different 
spiritual gifts, as they are sometimes described, different abilities that he gives us specifically to be part of this larger work. Now, this language of spiritual gifts, or maybe, you know, we don't normally hear manifestation of the Spirit, but that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about spiritual gifts. If you go throughout the New Testament, you'll see a number of lists. There's a list right after our passage here that we didn't include just because the passage is already fairly long. And you get one in Romans and, and one in Ephesians. And what's notable is that none of the lists are the same. Paul never tries to exhaustively list what these spiritual gifts are because there are so many of them. The Spirit works in such diverse ways. And so it includes, you know, it talks about some have the gifts of help. Some have the gifts of administration. Some have the gifts of teaching. We can include musical gifts. We could go on and on. There are so many different gifts. And yet, they're all geared towards the same purpose. Again, let's just notice what verse 7 says. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Do you hear that? It's every person who has received the manifestation of the Spirit, which is all of you, if you are a believer, you have received this for the common good. That is for the strengthening of the church and the furthering of its mission. This, by the way, is one of the reasons why I don't love just talking about spiritual gifts, because sometimes when we think of spiritual gifts as a gift, we think of it as a possession that we own and we kind of just enjoy personally. I remember when I was a kid um, in high school, I think it was a really common thing, and maybe it is today, I just am not as familiar with it, where people would take like spiritual gift inventories, and they were kind of like a Myers-Briggs for spiritual gifts. And you know, you would answer all these questions about how you saw yourself, and boom, I'm a prophet. I mean, like that's what would happen. They would just kind of tell you. And, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's helpful to start thinking about how you're wired. That's great, but sometimes what that can make it feel like is it's just really about you and this possession of yours. But here what we see is actually what's being talked about is a responsibility, not a possession. You have been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the strengthening of the church and the furthering of its mission. And that means it's not just going to be a matter of kind of going into a closet and filling out like a survey and figuring it out. It only is going to be figured out for you if you want to know what your specific manifestation of the Spirit, your spiritual gifts are. It happens by getting your hands dirty. It happens by seeking to serve the church. And as you serve, sometimes you go, oh, this isn't going so well. But sometimes you're surprised by fruitfulness. And you see the Spirit at work through you in surprising ways. I remember talking to a friend of mine this past week. And this person was talking about how administration for this person was kind of like, you know, I think they, when she was talking about it, I think she would rather have fingernails pulled out one at a time than having to do any more administration. It was just exhausting. But when she was teaching, that's when she was gaining energy. And I could see it because when I've seen this person teach, they teach remarkably. Now, the only way to figure that out is by doing it and to realize this didn't go so well. Oh, wow, look at this. I, can, I know some of you are the very opposite. Some of you can just look at a mess and it gets organized. Like somehow just like you're a penetrating glare and everyone suddenly knows where they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do, and it's just amazing. And you have these gifts of administration, which you guys know I do not. But the only way that we figure that out is as we act, as we try, as we seek to work together. And it's really important that we do get our hands dirty 
because each of these is given for the common good. In fact, it even goes beyond that. You notice verse 11 says, all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In other words, this is not haphazard. This is not, oh, well, we'll just see what the mix is. No, the spirit is very intentionally equipping each of us so that together we are able to accomplish what we could not accomplish apart from each other. And the, and the metaphor that's being used here, as we've already said, is the metaphor of the body. Have you ever thought about just how extraordinary the body is? It's so complex, isn't it? I mean, there's the, the skeletal system that has this amazing architecture, and then there's you know, the muscles and the ligaments that are holding everything together, and, and then we've got the respiratory and digestive to give energy, and the brain and the nervous system. I mean, all of this complexity, and yet everything is kind of working together in one moment. Like right now, my brain, without me even realizing it, is making sure that I'm not falling down. It's, you know, using my muscles to keep me up. It's, my, my heart is beating so that I don't, you know, collapse. I'm breathing. There's air to give my words so that all of this is geared so that I can speak these words right now. There's incredible complexity in that. And in fact, it needs that complexity. Everything that I just mentioned, if you removed one piece of that, this would not work. Our body is so interdependent that, that you can't remove any one major part without things falling apart. I remember when I was a kid, and I don't know why we would have these conversations, but we'd say, like, which sense, if you had to lose one sense, which one would you lose? You know, like, I don't want to smell, but that would be taste. I mean, like, we, it's, that's a hard discussion. It's even harder, though, if you start going to the organs, right? So which one's more important, liver, heart, or brain? Um, I'd rather not have to make that decision because, because every piece is so necessary. They're all so different, and yet they're all so crucial for the body to do its job. And notice what Paul says here, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. He's saying, just what I just described about the body, that's us. There is enormous complexity. There is enormous diversity. And that's exactly the way that it needs to be. Because there is a unity in purpose. And when every piece and every part works together, we are able to do something remarkable through the work of the Spirit. But we need every single part. And that's really the point that he's making as he's starting to go through these, these different illustrations that we have in, in you know, the subsequent verses. He says, imagine for a moment if you were, um, well, like if, if the foot is just kind of looking upward at the hand and says, you know, that hand gets to do all the cool stuff. You know, it's, you know, it holds the sword if it's fighting, it shakes hands, it, it can write. Meanwhile, I'm a foot, and all I do is get stepped on every day. That's all I do. That's my job. I'm clearly not that important. Now, if the, the foot said that, Paul says, would it be any less a part of the body? No, it's still a part of the body. But if somehow the foot sees itself as insignificant and stops working, what happens? Well, the whole body starts limping. You know, if, if we somehow removed one part, if we just emphasized, if the whole body were one thing, it says one ear or one eye, we would not have a body. We would not be able to do what we're called to do. 
And, and what Paul is addressing, I think, is sometimes this putting this pecking order where some gifts are important and some are seen as unimportant. And so people just kind of remove themselves because they don't see what they contribute as being important. And every, every tradition has a different version of this. So the Corinthian church, it was all about the charismatic gifts. And that's probably true in some charismatic churches today. If you could do something extraordinary, that was important. If it was really ordinary, well, that's not that big of a deal. In other traditions, like Salvation Army, it's all about the service gifts, and sometimes the intellectual gifts are just seen as not needed. Some churches, it's all about extroversion. It's all about connecting, and the introverts, well, they're not really that important. And in some churches, like ours, it can seem to be that the intellect is really valued. And so gifts of service and mercy are not seen as more important. In any of those situations, that's a lie. In all of those situations, each of the gifts that God has given are equally crucial. It's like us trying to compare the liver and the brain. You can't. They're all needed. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Verse 18 says, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose if we don't recognize that God gave us specific manifestations of the Spirit, we misunderstand God's design. So here's where I think this is taking us. Here's where I think God's Word is saying to you this morning. I'm speaking to those of you who are in this church. If you're visitors, you can listen, but I'm not talking to you. <laughs> we need you. That's the simplest way I can put what this passage is saying. We need you. The Spirit has given you a very specific set of gifts, and he has done it with intentionality for the sake of the body. And it might be right now that you feel like, oh, I don't really see how I can have a role. That's okay. We'll work on that together. But I guarantee you do have a purpose, and we need you to use those gifts. Because if you don't, if you just say, well, I'm not, I'm not this, and so I guess I'm not really that important, we are going to limp without you. We need you. And what's more, you need us. That's where he goes with this, the second set of illustrations. You know, imagine, he says, if the eye becomes so impressed with itself, it's like, I don't need anything else. I look, I don't have to touch anything, and I can see everything right now. And so I don't really need certain parts of the body. I don't need the foot. I mean, that's absurd. We know that because, you know, the eye, it's great. I'm, I'm grateful for my eyes, but it is definitely not the only part that I'm needing right now. And, and the point he is making is that the gifts that are sometimes more raised and valued should not be seen as this independent thing that can be exercised without the rest of the body. I think when he's talking here, especially about the eye and the head, he's, he's probably primarily talking especially to people like me, to the leaders, you know, sometimes you can hear churches are so-and-so's church. That's Tim Keller's church. That's Rick Warren's church. As if it's that guy who makes the church. Now, I don't think either of those guys believe it, and I certainly don't believe it for this church. And I know you probably don't either. The reality is, this is our church. I need all of you for us to do what we're called to do. And that's true for each of you as well. Each of you need all of us for you to fulfill your calling. You know, I realize that many of us are an independent lot. We feel like somehow to ask for help is a sign of failure. And, and we might be able to kind of make that work for our life in general, although I would suggest that that's not a very healthy way of being, but it definitely doesn't work when it comes 
to the ministry we're called to as a church. Because what we're called to be is a body. And if you try to use the gifts that you've been having, you've given just by yourself, you are not going to do what you're called to do. Because what God has called us to be is the hands and feet of Christ together, working together, which means you need to be here like you are this morning on Sundays. And you need to be connected to people relationally. And you need to let people help you or work with you so that together we can do things that we totally could not do on our own. What these verses are saying is because we are a body, we need you, each of you. Without you, we're going to limp. And you need us because you are designed to be part of something bigger. You are designed to be part of the body of Christ, which only happens when we're working together. And just think of the vision that we have here of every member each of us contributing, giving the gifts that we have so that we as a body might be able to do what we could not do individually. What do you think would happen if all of us were like that together? I think we see two things suggested here. Well, one's explicit, and I think one is implied. The first one is that as we do this, as we learn to depend upon each other and work together in this way, we experience an ever-deepening unity. You see how it says at the very end, it talks about how God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This interdependence draws us in connection with each other. Perhaps some of you, like me, have uh, seen the miniseries Band of Brothers. Are you familiar with that? I know it came out a number of years ago, but it was fantastic. It's based on a book by Stephen Ambrose that's telling the story of the E Company and the 101st Battalion who had to you know, fight in the Battle of the Bulge. And it was a brutal moment in history. For, for two months, December of 1944 and January of 1945, they were in France trying to hold their line. They were experiencing shelling regularly from the Germans. They didn't have winter clothes and it was terribly cold. They were low on ammunition. They were surrounded and yet they held together and they fought bravely and they were able to do what they were called to do. Now that in and of itself, this story of heroism is remarkable, but what, when I was watching, I was struck even more by was the depth of love that was brought about for each other through this. And there's some really striking quotes that, that you hear from these guys as they speak of their experience. Um, one of them that I was most struck by, a guy said, there is not a day that has passed since that I do not thank Adolf Hitler for allowing me to be associated with the most talented and inspiring group of men that I have ever known. Now, of course, you don't want to take that too far. He's not saying I'm glad that there was a war for just for this sake, but what he's saying is, all of that difficulty for him was worth it, for him to have been experiencing this level of connection, this brotherhood. And, and how was it forged? It was forged as each person realized that their lives were in each other's hands, where they were completely depending upon each other to do something bigger than themselves. Someone else in the group said, if it wasn't for each other, 
I'm sure a lot of us would have gone crazy. That's where the cohesion comes in. We were brothers. Because they needed each other and they knew they needed each other. They needed each other just to not go crazy. They were unified with this intense fraternity. And God says, when we are operating as we're called to, when we see each other and realize there's no one that we don't need, when we realize that our life is in each other's hands, that our mission as the body of Christ is in each other's hands, and that we have a responsibility to not let each other down, when we recognize that, then we develop this intense care for each other that when one person suffers, we all suffer because that's what happens with the body. If you stub your toe, it's not just your toe that hurts, all of you hurt. And similarly, when we see someone in our group experiencing some success, whether they're able to do something remarkable in their work or whether they're able to, to bring someone into church and lead them to Christ or whatever it is, all of us rejoice because we're all in this together. A deep unity is formed as we live out the reality that we are the body of Christ. And then secondly, I think as we live into this reality, the more we're able to be the body, the more that we will see God do extraordinary things through us. Why do I say that? Because we're the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ Jesus, who always does extraordinary things. And if we are able to live out that reality, what will God do with us? I mean, we've already seen God do remarkable things, haven't we? Fifteen years ago, this church wasn't. It just didn't exist. Ten years ago, this church looked like it was going to collapse. And yet God said, I'm not done with this church. Over the last years, we've, we've stepped out in faith and taken risks, and we've been wondering, okay, what's going to happen? And every time God has stepped up and done things beyond our expectations, and I don't think God did all of this so that we can just sit comfortably on Sunday mornings and enjoy each other's company. No, he did this because he wants to do extraordinary things through us as a congregation, as we are the body of Christ, we look around us, and if we know people in our neighborhood, we realize there is great need for Christ. And when I look around at you right now, what I see is incredible giftedness. And so what would happen if more and more we stepped up and figured out the ways that the Spirit is manifesting himself, and we were able to contribute, and we were able to fully be the body of Christ that we were called to be, I can only imagine that it would be extraordinary because I'm already seeing extraordinary things. We can only function the way we are meant to be if we function as a body. We can only do this if we are willing to accept who we are. We're the body of Christ. Now that means we're a body who is called to suffer because we are people that Jesus has said, anyone who comes after me must take up their cross and follow me. That is part of what this life is, that we open our arms wide, remembering that when Jesus did this, he did this on the cross. So also we open our arms wide without fear. But we don't do this alone. We do this as the body of Christ together. I'd like to invite us just to take a moment 
uh, you know, for some of us, you know, maybe this has been thinking about, okay, what does it look like for me? How can I serve? What, what is God calling me to do? Or maybe some of us can think of people that we have seen in our church that we have just not treated as being important even though they are. And what I'd like you to do is just to take some moments in reflection before God, confessing your sins, asking God to lead you so that we can be the body that we were called to be. And then I will lead us in prayer after that. So let's take some time in, in silence. God and Father, you have been so gracious to us. You have loved us beyond what we can comprehend. And you have gifted us with your spirit. And we, each of us, confess that there are times that oftentimes our own priorities and what we think are our own needs stand in the way of living into the reality that we are the body of Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we confess our sins, asking for your forgiveness. And we also confess our inadequacy, asking for your guidance and for your wisdom. Many of us are seeking to know how to balance many different demands on our lives, and I pray that you would guide us and direct us so that we might know how to be the body you have called us to be. And we pray that you would do this, not just so that we would see exciting things, but so that you would glorify your name and that you would give through us life to this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.